Every day, the graduate student writers of astrobytes.org publish summaries of recent developments in astronomy. Then we sit down with recent astrobytes of our choosing and bring them together, sometimes in ways you wouldn't expect. We call it Astro Soundbites. I'm Kirsten Boley. I'm a PhD candidate at The Ohio State University, where I study the impacts of elemental abundances on planet formation and evolution. And I went to community college. I'm Sabrina Berger. I'm a PhD student at the University of Melbourne, where I study the high redshift universe both observationally and theoretically. And I also went to community college. I'm Will Saunders. I'm a fifth-year PhD student at Boston University, where I study the upper atmospheres of Uranus and Neptune, and I did not go to community college. <laughs> you sound so ashamed. <laughs> Usually it's the opposite. It's just a statement of fact. <laughs> You're listening to episode 68, Beyond, Breaking the Stigma Around Community College, Part 2. So in our previous episode about community college, we talked about my personal experiences with going to community college, and we also talked with Dr. Natalie Nicole Sanchez. That was absolutely phenomenal. And since we've got this new episode, we've got Will this time, and I wanted to go ahead and ask him the same question that we asked Alex. So Will, as someone who didn't go to community college, what's your perception of it? Well, I want to start by sharing with you some thoughts I had from part one of this series. I think you both did a really exceptional job. I really enjoyed hearing your story, Kirsten. I think you did a great job telling the story, and it was enjoyable to listen. The interview went really, really well, offered a great perspective. So I feel personally it's opened my mind up to the way that community college can help a person you know, at various stages of life. But it was also just a really well-executed episode. So congrats to you both. Thank you. Oh, thanks. Now, for some background on me, where I grew up and where I came from, I didn't know many people at all that went to community college. It was not a common path in my school district. I actually think every single member of my 109-person graduating class went to a four-year university directly. So... It actually took me a long time before I realized that is highly unusual, both because of actually going on to higher education at all and the fact that almost all of them went directly to a four-year university. I do know one or two people that ended up dropping out or finishing up at a, a university or maybe transitioning to a community college and then going back. So certainly it didn't always end the same way it started for everybody, uh, but this was a, quite unusual. And my perception as a community college growing up was not positive. It was a place where people who were not as strong academically and who did not have direction in life go. As I got older, I realized that it can be that, but it's also much more than that because it's a much more affordable way to achieve an education. The environment is more nurturing for people who may not have direction, but people who may need a different kind of learning environment, especially when transitioning between different subjects. And that 
I've also realized that the emphasis on teaching at community college actually makes a lot of the teaching there stronger than many four-year universities. So this has all changed my perception. I still recognize that I hold some misconceptions about community college. So listening to part one actually helped open my mind up as well. And I'm really trying to be as open-minded as possible about hearing different people's paths to be able to recognize the reality about community college. I actually loved hearing your thoughts about it. I mean, this is what we're trying to do, right, with this episode, break the stigma around community college. So that's really encouraging. But also, that's crazy that almost everyone from your graduating class went to a four-year university. That's just wild and awesome that people are able to do that in like the place that you grew up. It's not necessarily a positive, and I think part of it comes from a stigma in my community about attending community college. And that stigma pushed people for whom it might have been the right choice away from it. And that's disappointing. And certainly, if I ever found myself as a parent in a similar community, I would not hold that stigma. And I would put that as an option on the table for, you know, my kids and talk about it with others. But it was never something that was discussed in my household growing up. Just, we never talked about it. Yeah, I think that you responded with the way that most people would respond when asked about community college and how they felt about it growing up. I think there's definitely still a lot of stigma around it and people feel this way, especially if you grow up in a community where you don't really know many people that went to community college. That can just kind of paint the perception a bit differently for you. I would agree too, because I think that it's completely normal to think about community college that way. But, you know, we're trying to change that. Yeah. So, Sabrina, since this episode is all about, well, it's not all about you, but we get a large portion of you, would you like to go ahead and take it away and tell us about your experience with community college? Sure. I'm inspired by the way Kirsten shared her experience, so I'll try and follow a similar framework. So when I was growing up, I attended public schools near me. I actually attended like three different elementary schools because my parents moved and my mom wanted me to go to a different elementary school. And I think, honestly, growing up, I used academic performance as kind of the way I built my self-confidence. So I guess that'll come back around later when I talk about like my experience as an undergrad. But as I started high school... I spent the first two years, basically, (laughs) this is kind of embarrassing to say, but I would just go to the library, study, do my math homework. I had like no friends. I was very, very shy and uncomfortable with people, I guess. I don't know, maybe it was some social anxiety or something. So after my first two years, the way I handled that was I was like, I'm going to run away and I'm going to go study abroad. So I went abroad for my junior year of high school, so this is my third year, to Italy, to this small town in Sardinia, which is to the west of Italy. It's kind of like the lesser known island that a lot of people live on. How did you just transfer to a school in Italy? Yeah, so that's a good question. So there's this program called the American Field Service, shout out AFS, and it's not that common for Americans to do it, but it's really common for other countries. And they had this scholarship in my nearby town to pay for most of it. 
So they handle everything for you. Like you get a host family, they set you up in high school, they pay for your flights and everything. So you just show up there and start your experience abroad. Very scary. That's crazy. Did you know Italian? No. So thanks community college. I took my first Italian class at community college because my high school didn't have any Italian classes. They only had French, which was great. I loved my French classes in high school, but I went to my local community college and was able to take it at kind of an accelerated pace because at least for my community college, one semester at community college was equal to one year of high school. So I got, as soon as I knew I was going, I got as much as I could in before I left. But obviously I could not speak it when I left. But when I came back after that year of like forcing myself or trying to actually socialize with people and not be completely, you know, silent the whole year, I spoke it pretty well. Can you still speak it? Yes, but I'm forgetting. Like there's a lot of Italians actually in my research group right now, three or four, and I can speak it conversationally and understand everything, but you know, it's been almost 10 years, or I guess actually 10 years since I went. So need to brush up. Yeah, you got to go back. Yeah. But I mean, the reason people are always shocked when they hear that I had to learn the language, but it's just truly because there was no one that spoke English there. <laughs> like I had no other choice. It was like a town of a thousand people. And then, yeah, just people didn't speak English, except the English teachers or people that had been abroad. That's a really unusual experience for someone who isn't an immigrant. Yes, it is. And I think it's kind of strange. A lot of people are like, well, why? You were so shy. Why did you have the confidence to like go abroad? And I think you can reinvent yourself. Yeah, I think part of it was I was never comfortable like in an American high school for some reason. Like there's some weird psychological thing there. Like I felt more confident and excited about going abroad, not knowing anyone. Maybe Kirsten's right, like reinventing myself. And then when I got back, I was full of confidence which would slowly die out again. But um, <laughs> I was packed to the max with confidence. And I think that year, because it was so challenging, I mean, it sucked in a lot of ways. Like there were just a lot of issues and it was uncomfortable. I think that kind of gave me some resilience that I needed, honestly, in physics. I know that's a weird like parallel to draw, but I felt like it maybe it hardened me or strengthened me in some way. So I got back to the US and I had two choices. I could go back to high school or I could take basically the California high school equivalency exam, which is basically a high school diploma. It's not like the GED. I think it's equivalent to a high school diploma. <laughs> Guess I graduated high school. So I took that and then I just went to community college for my senior year because I was like, there's no point in going back to high school. I hated it. They had barely any math and science classes. It wasn't a very strong high school. I think everyone in the AP calculus class at my high school didn't pass the test. Like it was that kind of oh thing. My God. <laughs> so it was like That's so bad. Yeah. So I had to, you know, go somewhere to get a more challenging education, I guess. And that's why I chose community college, because that's where I knew I could get it and not have to pay an exorbitant amount. So you came back from the junior year abroad, mm -hmm. graduated high school effectively, and then did a year of community college. Yeah. So I did my senior year and then would have been my first year of college at community college. Got it. So I started community college. I went to an advisor there and I was like, I want to study astronomy and music. And she was like, um, yeah, that's too much. You have to pick one. 
So I was like, okay, I can work on music on the side. I'll just do astronomy. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> so that's actually when I like realized that I needed to take physics. I took my first physics class at community college. And I guess I might have taken one in Italy, but it wasn't anything like the one I took in community college. And so I started basically from high school physics, or I guess it would have been equivalent to like an AP, like between high school and AP physics, and then took four semesters of physics at community college. And I actually started to really fall in love with it, especially my second semester. I think it would be your second class that you would take as an undergrad or equivalent to that in physics. My professor was, shout out Dr. Connor, was honestly kind of life-changing, explained things in a way that I've never had another physics teacher explain and supported me in a way that no, I think honestly no other physics teacher had, had ever supported me and really helped me build not only my skills in physics, but also confidence in myself. Really supportive. I absolutely just love that. Shout out to all community college physics professors, because that's literally almost identical to how I felt. Did you also have a like notable physics professor? I th Oh, you talked about it a bit last time. Yeah. Yeah. His name is Professor Pergram at Georgia Highlands College. After I got my master's, I reached out to him and I was like, thank you. You are the reason that I'm like still doing science and physics. And Natalie also said that she had, you know, quite a wonderful experience with a particular professor, right? Mm -hmm. So it seems to be this inspiration, the powerful teachers in our lives, once again, have the ability to inspire like nothing else. Yeah, and I think that community college professors tended to be more empathetic of more situations. My physics teacher told me he had like an eight-year-old in his class, and then he also had like retired people that just wanted to learn physics. So as having that wide spectrum in terms of age and experience, it's a really good skill for a teacher to have. Have you guys ever heard that saying, if you can explain whatever concept to a fifth grader, then you understand the concept? I wonder if that's something that community college professors develop, and that's maybe what makes them a better teacher, because they are not trying to teach basically the same demographic of students the same thing. They're trying to teach a variety of different students from different backgrounds at different ages the same concept. That's a really good point. I think that community college professors, kind of along that line of thinking, have to adapt their classes to people that have never seen that material before, whereas... When I was an undergrad at Berkeley, like I was in classes where people had already taken basically the same class in their high school or had tutors or something. So I think they start more fundamentally and have to ensure that everyone has the same background. So I feel like that develops their teaching skills rather than just being able to say like whatever they want in class and skip to the advanced material. That is probably an easier thing to do than really start from the basics and ensure everyone understands it. Well, in some ways, and I totally agree with you, Sabrina, about my experience in undergrad, the difference maybe as I perceive it is in my undergrad physics classes, information was going to be spoken at you and you were responsible for trying to collect it all and make sense of it. 
versus what it sounds like is the professor took the onus you know on himself to make sure that you learned the material or took a direct step to actually uh, ensure that you were learning as opposed to giving you and hoping that you figure it out yeah that's a good point i think there was also a disconnect between the graduate student instructor who would do the office hours and do a lot of the teaching when I transferred to Berkeley between Diablo Valley College, which was the community college I went to. I wanted to say that earlier. At my community college, it was the professor that was grading and acting as the TA effectively. So I think that having that connection was also helpful and that you actually were working hands-on with the students. Also, just to backtrack a bit, the reason I chose to go to community college was it was sort of all that I knew. My entire family did at least some time at community college. My sister, my dad, my parents met in chemistry. A love story. That's so cute. (laughs) Like Kirsten and her partner. So (laughs) I didn't meet my partner there, but I was expecting to i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) your long lost love at community college yeah so my parents my mom actually did like got a scholarship and did a four-year degree first and she went back and was like studying to become a chiropractor or something the reason my dad went to community college was it was honestly probably the only place he could afford at that time without taking out major loans because it was just so inexpensive. And he sort of followed the same trajectory as me and also transferred to Berkeley from community college. So my community college, Diablo Valley College, is about 40 minutes from UC Berkeley. That's the closest UC. So a lot of people transfer from there to UC Berkeley. There's, of course, people transferring to a lot of different UCs. And like Kirsten was talking about in the last episode, there's sort of these lists of the community college class you take and the exact equivalent of the Berkeley college class you've taken or for whatever you see. So that was really helpful in that it was easy to transfer my courses. Aside from the equivalency list for classes, did they end up having any sort of guideline into what class credits you needed in order to transfer into a certain major? Because I realized, and this might not be common knowledge, that Georgia Tech and Georgia Highlands, the colleges that I went to, they had basically a list. If I wanted to transfer in as a aerospace engineer, I needed to have these credits from the community college, or basically they had a system to tell me that. Did they have something similar for you guys? Yeah, exactly. I think it was called ASSIST or something in California. That was actually why I transferred after two years, because... You basically can only transfer. They'll only admit you after you've taken all of the lower division or the first two years of the courses required for your major. So I applied my third semester, assuming that I would finish all of the courses before transferring. And I think I also mentioned this a bit in the last episode, but there were just so many more resources that felt available and accessible to me. Like there were physics tutors that were there basically Monday through Thursday, drop-in, math lab that was open every day, from like 8 to 5 or something like that, some really crazy hours. And I felt like when I transferred to UC Berkeley, there were a lot of resources, kind of, or people didn't utilize them. Or when I did utilize them, I would feel bad 
there were some really excellent graduate student instructors I had at Berkeley, don't get me wrong, but it just felt so much more intimidating. Also, my classes were so big, and I feel like I felt that everyone came in knowing way more than me and were just way smarter than me. They would at least seem that way, and it made me feel like I couldn't learn the same things they could or I wasn't smart enough to do those things. So I think my first semester at Berkeley, and I guess my first few years were like really hard. I think a lot of that was just because of this community college stigma I placed on myself in that, okay, I went to community college, I must not be as good as these people. I must not know as much, I must not be able to succeed, which is totally wrong, but. Yeah, in knowing you, I suspect it was imposter syndrome because that's just, it jives with who you are and I felt it myself and I know that feeling and you really like the thing about imposter syndrome when you're in it is you really do think you don't belong. Like you're really convinced that it's not going to work out. It's going to fall apart. My experience at Penn was very tough in the beginning. I had about a year, maybe a year and a half in the beginning when I found it to be extremely challenging. I didn't have my community. I didn't feel comfortable in my studies. And then things started to change. I started to get a handle on it, but it took a long time. And one of the most destructive pieces of advice I've ever heard before I went off to college was, it's the greatest time of your life. You're going to love it so much because I didn't. And I, I got there, but it took a long time. And I wish someone had said, be patient with yourself take the time, utilize the resources, so underutilized, and you will figure it out. So I appreciate what you went through. I can relate to that story as well. It's definitely a difficult thing to be thrown into a place where I think honestly at Berkeley Community College was kind of stigmatized too. Like if you told people you went to community college, maybe they wouldn't necessarily want to work with you or something, even though you know some of the best physicists I know went to community college. I think I would have done a lot better at Berkeley had I come in with the mindset that I can do this and not held on to that stigma for basically until I got to grad school when I started to realize, hmm, this experience at community college gave me something unique that is actually probably really helpful rather than this experience made me dumb or this experience made, left me unprepared. So how did you go about navigating feeling like that while you were an undergrad? That's a good question. I think the first year and a half, I isolated myself. And I sort of just didn't talk to a lot of people, didn't work with a lot of people. But then later on, I met other people that transferred and we worked together. I met people like Malena, shout out our previous co-host, who was never judgmental of me going to community college and making those connections with people that were kind and had faith in me to succeed was kind of essential. There were actually classes specifically for transfer students at Berkeley, which I think is really good that they kind of try to connect other community college students through these classes. They were called Berkeley Connect or something where you would be in a class with a bunch of people, you would hear talks, you would basically just get a free lunch every week for some reason, it took me about a year to say, I can handle it here and I can keep going and not have to feel the way I felt the first year and a half and feel super disconnected, which I think is honestly a common experience at my undergrad as well. 
think less even to do with community college and more just the culture that Berkeley cultivates. Is it a culture of rigor? I would say it's a culture of competition. I always tell the story that my last semester at Berkeley, there were people that would go into the problem set boxes, you know, where you turn in your problem sets. They would take problem sets out, like fish them out of the box, tear off a page like (gasps) very carefully. No. And then put them back so that they would mess up the curve of the class. Like that was just normalized. (laughs) That's really messed up. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That is absolutely horrible. At Georgia Tech, there wasn't anything like that, but they, I don't know, they would call it this culture of like rigor, where basically it's like having hard classes for hard classes sake. Yeah, that's a common experience. I think at any of these, I feel like we all went to relatively big institutions in the States in terms of class sizes. I hear from my friends that went to like liberal arts colleges or smaller private schools and their experience sounded more like community college to me. And I was like, I would have done way better if I had I gone to one of these schools with the class size that was smaller, more of an open kind of culture to ask questions and people that were more supportive. So my one sentence summary of transferring from community college to UC Berkeley is that I wish that I had allowed myself to see through the stigma into what actually mattered and enjoyed learning as much as I enjoyed learning at community college. Great. I love that. And to really round out this episode, while I was at AAS this month, I was able to sit down with Dr. Andrea Schwartz, a professor of physics and astronomy at Quinn Sigmund Community College. Take a listen. Hey, can you please state your name, position, and preferred pronouns? Sure. My name is Andrea Schwartz, and my official title is Professor of Integrated Science and Physics at Quinn Sigmund Community College in Worcester, Massachusetts. I usually refer to myself as just a physics and astronomy professor, because that's what I actually do. And you can use she, her pronouns for me. Great. Amazing. So can you tell me a little bit about what you do if you do research? I know that predominantly at community colleges, the focus is on teaching and education. So if you could tell me a little bit about your day-to-day and what you do specifically. Sure. So in Massachusetts, the faculty are actually unionized. Both the full-time faculty and our adjunct or part-time faculty members are unionized. Under the full-time contract, we teach five classes. So in sciences, that usually ends up with being three lectures plus two labs, Mm -hmm. which is a lot more than most four-year college professors teach. That ends up being 15 contact hours per week. And that is the main bulk of my requirements, but I'm also expected to do service and advising. So I have 18 advisees. We don't have a major in either physics or astronomy at my school, so most of my advisees nowadays are majoring in engineering. Occasionally I get random other students. I had a, quote, general studies student once, And this student, one semester she came to me wanting to be a veterinarian, and the next semester she came to me wanting to be a ballerina. (laughs) (laughs) 
So it's a lot easier to advise the engineering students because they're pretty much on a straight and narrow yeah, path. Yeah, they're like, we want to be an engineer yes. or do something in STEM. And exactly. So, yeah, I can imagine. Exactly. And then the third category was college service. And so that is fulfilled by attending required meetings for my department and my college, required all school meetings. But then we also need to do at least one other thing in order to fulfill that college service. And so some of my colleagues will do things like advise clubs or serve on other committees. Personally, I'm actually doing research for my additional college service. I recently finished my PhD working on it part-time and that was at the University of Wyoming in physics. And my research is about astronomy and physics education. So I actually study the issues of equity and access and hearing the voices of students in different populations that physics departments address. Wow, that's amazing. So what made you decide to be a professor at a community college? And then I have a whole bunch more questions about <laughs> your choice in research during your PhD. So what made me want to be a professor at a community college? When I was working on my first master's degree in astronomy, I'd always known my whole life that I enjoyed teaching. And while working on the master's degree, I really discovered how much I wanted to be teaching and how much I wanted to help reach students who don't have the same opportunities that I had myself, because I had a very privileged life growing up in New York City, access to magnet schools, AP classes, and all of that. So after I got my master's degree at UMass Amherst in astronomy, I decided I wanted to do some sort of teaching. And the other thing that really helped me decide this was I participated in a program called the NSF GK-12 program. I don't know if it still exists, but the G stands for graduate students and K-12 for K-12 education. And the goal of this project was to pair up graduate students in STEM fields with K-12 teachers who were in science themselves, or at least they were teaching science. So I got paired with a couple of middle school teachers, one in a underprivileged urban setting and one in an underprivileged rural setting. And so that's really what cemented my wish to be able to help people to access science and access education. That is so amazing. <laughs> so I come from a low-income background, so mm -hmm. I didn't have access yeah. to this. So I went to a community college, but I ended up serving with a program called Jumpstart and mm -hmm. basically helping kids learn how to read and write oh. in preschool. And I don't know, that just sparked something too. So I can relate to, to feeling like a spark and being like, yes, this is something that yeah. I want to help out with and be a part of. For me, it was like, I really did live a privileged life. I had a very solidly middle-class life growing up in New York City. I was identified as quote-unquote gifted as a child. And there's there's many equity issues involved with labels of being gifted, but I came from a family that really valued education. My father's side is Jewish, my mother's side is Chinese, and, and both those cultures really are invested in education. So I got as best education as you could do in public schools in New York City. When I went to high school in the 90s, they had all these magnet schools. So I actually went to Hunter College High School, which is basically a college prep high school that is known for educating Lin-Manuel Miranda 
and I think it was Alana Kagan on the Supreme Court. So I, I this amazing education. And then when I was working with these middle school kids and seeing that their lives were so different from mine, I had been so sheltered before and I thought everybody was like me and I thought everybody, I thought everything was equal and fair and you could get ahead with hard work. And then I literally had one of these sixth grade girls say to me, Miss Schwartz, you're saying all this, you can do whatever you want stuff because you're white. You get to say this, you get to do that. I don't. Mm-hmm. And I, my heart just broke and I just wanted to sit down and cry and, and I kept it together in class. But that was just so moving to hear that this is what so many of the students think. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, I could tell you similar stories, but I've had coming from a minority background, but also working with yeah. little kids that are also more underprivileged than yeah. even I was. Yeah. And then hearing their stories, it's just like, oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, it can, it can be worse. One of, one of the first students I had a connection with at the community college was she had, I think, two children who were under six in age. And she told me at the end of the semester that my class was the first time she ever enjoyed a science class. And I was just like, oh, wow, that's so wonderful. Then the next semester, I noticed I didn't see her around campus anymore. And community college can have these ups and downs where, like, you can feel so good that you're helping people, but also not everybody can be helped, or at least they're not always in a place where they're willing to be helped yet. So what's the most difficult part about being a professor at a community college? So the thing that's on my mind recently is that I want to be able to do research. I want to continue my work in understanding what factors affect learning in science and also how these minoritized people's experiences affect their learning in science. For example, I've got a book chapter coming out soon taking a look at how people learn technology within the context of science classes. And one thing I mentioned there is that technology education can help level the playing field for underprivileged people, but it can also be a barrier and can Mm -hmm. be a gatekeeper if people don't feel like they can make it past that. So that's stuff I really want to do. But (laughs) time-wise, on top of teaching, you know, 15 hours a week and advising 18 students and going to meetings, and I have a long commute as well, the way that my partner and I solve the two-body problem involves me driving an hour each way to work. So right now, that's the biggest challenge. When I first started, one thing that I found was great, and I've seen this across many physics and astronomy departments, is that other faculty mentor the new faculty a lot. So they handed me things like an example syllabus, example slides, example tests. That was all not bad. Classroom management was hard for me at first because I was what looked like, I was 26 when I started at community college. I look a lot younger than I actually am. The average age of my community college is 25. And so like I was the same age as my students and I look like a young woman. And especially, you know, in STEM, there's a lot of authority vested in being an older man. Yeah. (laughs) And I do look like I'm white, but I think, I mean, Asian people can tell I'm multiracial. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm Chinese and Jewish. I forget if I've said. Asian people can tell that I'm multiracial. Non-Asian people can tell I'm like ethnically ambiguous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So I think also 
when I was in the classes, and some of these classes were dominated by white men, some of whom had been working in tech fields longer than I'd been alive. And so the classroom management was an issue at times. Now that I've been there longer, I've been full-time faculty for I think 15 years now. I have developed my presence in the classroom so that I don't tend to have these sorts of classroom management issues, mm -hmm. but it was a learning curve at first. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the flip side of that, what's the most rewarding part about being a professor at a community college? Oh man, I feel like I make such a difference to my students. I teach both physics and astronomy, and especially in the astronomy classes, these are non-majors, gen ed classes. They're just taking the science because they have to to get it out of the way. And many of them picked astronomy because they actually are interested in astronomy. And I really get the sense that me being the person in the front of the classroom makes a difference. Physics students are often the type of student where no matter who's in front of the classroom, they can figure things out and pass. But the gen ed students are not like that. They really need somebody to motivate them, somebody who they know cares, somebody who's excited about the subject. And so it's just very rewarding to know I'm helping them like this. I actually got an email this morning from a student who finally passed my class after multiple attempts. And the student sent me a photo of the moon and was asking me, it was just rising, waning gibbous, and it was red. And the student was asking me, why does the moon look red here? And I was just like, wow, I've really inspired the student to want to know more about this stuff. That's really amazing. I know my experience at a community college, it felt like the professors cared about the students. And it sounds like you really care about your students. I try to. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. And so for these students, what advice do you have for students that want to go into astronomy mm -hmm. that might not have the money or yeah. resources yeah. to go straight into university? And what would your advice be for these students? So we don't have an astronomy major at my community college. We don't even have a physics major. The unfortunate reality is that there's no demand for people with associate's degrees in those, and there's not enough demand to justify a transfer program for the bachelors. But I do get students who are majoring in engineering or majoring in chemistry who actually want to be astronomy or physics majors, and they want to know how to get there. And so my first advice is always math. Math, math, math. Math is the backbone of physics, and physics is the backbone of astronomy. <laughs> so take every single math course your, your community college offers as soon as you can. And if you're starting with developmental math, this might take you a while. I have had engineering students who started with our course number calls it Math 090. This is called, I think, Basic Math. It starts with the number line and it ends with reducing fractions. So I've had engineering majors start with that level of math and take as much as 10 years to get through all the math because they were doing it part-time. Mm -hmm. So that's an option. You, you don't have to be a typical college student, you know, taking four or five classes, no children, no family, living in a dorm, no job. <laughs> you can go to a community college, you can take classes part-time, you can have a job, you can live with your family, you can be the caretaker for your family. And community college is just a great way to do that. I would say if you're transferring to four-year schools, be aware that 
the environment is not always as welcoming at four-year schools. There, You will have larger class sizes. I have my students call me by first name. I'd say about half the professors do at my school. They're unlikely to do that at a four-year college. You might have teaching assistants teaching you. You might have people who don't want to be teaching and would rather just be doing research. I know one professor at a four-year school who said they don't want to learn students' names because if you learn students' names, you can't treat them all equally. <laughs> I see the shock look on your face. And that reminds me of, you've probably seen this graphic of, what is it, equality versus equity, I think it was, where it has three children trying to look over a fence at a baseball game, and one child is tall, one's medium height, and one's short. And the equality is you give each child a box, and the tall child was already able to see over the fence, so the box doesn't help him. The medium child, the box helps them. And the small child, the box isn't even big enough to get them over. So I feel like not learning students' names because you want to treat them equally is like that. Where equity is, well, the tall child could already see over the fence, so don't give them a box. The middle child, one box is good. And then the short child, give them two boxes, and now they can finally see over the fence. And then, of course, there's the extension of this graphic with the third one, inclusion, where you turn this wood fence into a chain link fence so they can just see through it. <laughs> and they don't need the boxes at all. That is such a lovely analogy. <laughs> I've never heard of that, but I, I love that. Google the image. I don't have a clue who made it, but it's commonly used when we're talking about equity and access. Yeah. I'll definitely do that. That is amazing. <laughs> So going back to your PhD, it seems very relevant that you've done it in STEM education. Yes. Exactly. So what specifically is your research on? Well, so since I just finished my PhD, I'm still in the process of establishing my research trajectory. So far, it has been looking at equity issues facing students who are taught by college and university physics departments and astronomy departments. So when I say populations taught by physics and astronomy departments, I mean people taking gen ed classes, so they're not STEM majors at all. Then people who are STEM majors, including physics majors, of course, engineering majors, and so on. And then also K-12 teachers who are taking professional development. And so this doesn't happen as much at community colleges, but at four-year schools and universities, education departments, in collaboration with science departments, will often run these outreach things for teachers who need professional development because they need to take some amount of workshops or classes to keep their teaching certification. And this is particularly relevant in physics, and here I'm lumping astronomy into physics, because I think it was only around 40% of high school physics teachers had a physics major. 40% of high school physics teachers majored in physics. That is <laughs> mind-blowing. You probably saw the look on my face. I was like, processing, processing, what? <laughs> yeah. So if they want to be teaching physics and astronomy in high school or, or younger, the other 60% of them, and, and even more mind-blowing, sometimes I think it was around 43% have even taken a college physics course. So the other 57% have never even taken a college physics course, and they are teaching physics. 
Wow. So yeah, yeah, that, so university, <laughs> science departments and physics and astronomy departments especially have a big role in helping K-12 students by educating their educators. <laughs> wow. I mean, and that also ties into this progression of going through academia and college and whatnot. And if you started out in a high school where the teachers don't know physics or have never had a physics yeah. class, then you're not set up for success when you get to university. And yeah. honestly, I think that community colleges seem to bridge that gap, maybe. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of students who come to college and university with misconceptions in physics and astronomy and taking a look at their high school teachers education it's not surprising they come to us with wrong ideas so there's many reasons people come to community college but one of those many reasons is they can't get into a four-year college and for those students i think that quinceg is a, or other community colleges are a great place to bring them up to speed bring them up to the rigor that the four-year school is expecting my school specifically has a transfer agreement with an engineering program at a school that's just on the other side of town, Worcester Polytechnic Institute. And part of our transfer agreement with them is if students apply to them and can't get in, WPI tells them, go to Quinsig, take a few classes there, bring yourself up to the level we want, and then apply again for transfer. And they give our students lots of uh, financial aid as well, lots of scholarships just for transferring in. Wow, that's an amazing <laughs> partnership. Something similar with the community college that I went to, they're paired with Georgia Tech. Mm -hmm. So I went to community college there, and then, of course, I still had to apply, but they would take my credits as opposed yes. to going somewhere else and then yes. hoping and, and yes. wishing that they would take the credits. Yeah, in most states, there is this transfer system where you can go generally from the community colleges to the public schools seamlessly. In Massachusetts, we call it the Mass Transfer Program. If they have a degree with a certain GPA, they are guaranteed automatic admissions, and, and all their credits transfer over and fill their gen ed block even. And then we have additional transfer agreements with certain programs. So I teach a lot of classes for engineering students, and they're going, for example, to WPI, to Northeastern, some to UMass Amherst, UMass Lowell. And so we have these transfer agreements with all of them around engineering specifically. That's amazing. So not to take up too much of your time, <laughs> but this has been super informative for me, and it's definitely going to be super informative for our listeners. Awesome. But just to wrap up, I wanted to ask you one last question. Mm -hmm. What would you say to students that would like to go to college and they're considering community college as an option? What things do you think that they should know when making a choice of where to go to university or to go to community college? What would you tell them? I think one of the great things about community college is the diversity of students, not only in terms of like gender and race and LGBT status, but also like where you are in life. So whether you are somebody who is in a non-traditional student status, like maybe you are an older person and your children have just left the house and now you want to go back to school, or maybe you're younger and had children in, of your own in high school, or maybe you're caring for elderly people, or maybe you just immigrated and you came to the U.S. for college but you don't know where to start, I think community college is great because there's so many other people there who are just like you 
and also so many other people who are different. So you get to learn from them and from their way of thinking. I would also say community colleges are great with financial aid. Their, their courses are very cheap. You don't have to take a full course load. You can take one class at a time while you work at a grocery store or some big box shipping company. And then definitely look at transferring, like use the transfer resources if you do want to go on to a four-year school. Oh, and we have a lot of other supports in addition to just the teaching. Three, I think it was three things that I want to mention is free counseling slash therapy, especially in the time of COVID. So many people are finally looking after our mental health in a way we should have before. We have free counseling. Pretty much everywhere in higher ed does, but community colleges do as well. Free tutoring. In some ways, I think community colleges may have better and more courses that have free tutoring than do four-year schools. And lastly, if you have any disabilities, every school has some sort of disability or accessibility services office. And often the community college groups are better and easier to work with than the four-year schools. Thank you so much. It has been lovely interviewing you and it's been so great to meet you. Thank you, it's been a pleasure. A huge thank you for Dr. Schwartz for sharing her experiences with us. Yeah, that was a really excellent interview. Great job, Kirsten. Yeah, nice job, Kirsten. So a question for the two of you, what do you wish you knew before going into community college? The main thing I wish I knew going into community college is definitely just that you can get so much out of it, more than people think you can. You can transfer on to a four-year university and have a great career. And I wish that I would have known that all the stigma was just a big lie. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you can be really successful if you went to community college and there's a lot of resources out there to make use of. Also, I forgot to mention that there's REUs specifically for community college students, at least one of them that I know of in astronomy. So if you're looking for an REU hmm. and you're at a community college, REU is a research experience for undergraduates funded by the National Science Foundation. I wish I had have known that community colleges are some of the most welcoming and nurturing places to learn about science because I think in some ways, looking back, I took it for granted a little bit. But of course, maybe I always would even if I had have been told that. But I also wish I had have known that community college classes are just as good as any four-year institution. They transfer for a reason, and so there's no reason to feel self-conscious about going to community college in general, even if they didn't transfer, but there's no reason to feel self-conscious about your knowledge because you are learning, in theory, the same things at a four-year university. So when you transfer, you're not behind. You're right where you need to be. Love that. Aw, thanks. And so we also asked this question on Twitter, and here's what some of our fellow community college goers said. Hello, my name is Sam Dunham, and I'm in my sixth year as a PhD candidate at Vanderbilt University studying astronomy. I attended Washtenaw Community College for two years before transferring to the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. One thing I wish someone had told me when I went to community college is what office hours were. 
I thought there were times when the professor was in their office doing work, so those were times to not bother them. I didn't learn what office hours really were until my second year at U of M. My name is Adrian Sheppy. I am a PhD candidate in physics, and I wish I knew a lot of things before community college, to be honest. But I'd say the main one is that community college is a stepping stone to something greater in a lot of ways. I remember during my time there, I felt as though I wasn't doing the extravagant university experience like my high school friends, and in a lot of ways, it made me a little bit jaded towards the school. But now, looking back, I am extremely grateful for that period of my life. My instructors were phenomenal, and I ended up making a ton of friends with a variety of folks. It was also the most fun part of my undergraduate experience. So if I could give my younger self some advice, I'd probably tell him to enjoy the breeze a little more. Yo, what's going on, everyone? My name is Oscar Antonio Chavez Ortiz. I am a DACA recipient. I am a current third-year PhD candidate at the University of Texas at Austin. And the community college that I attended was Riverside Community College back in my hometown. And one thing that I wish I knew before actually going to community college was how to navigate the whole community college system, what that entails in terms of like what classes to take, timeline for transferring. I felt like I wasted a lot of time trying to figure that out, spent more time in community college than I think I should have. But it like all that stuff comes in hindsight. And if I had known what I know now back then, uh, I would have probably played things a little bit differently. So yeah, that's like one thing that I wish I really knew before going to community college was just how to navigate that whole system and what are the steps needed to kind of minimize that time and really go into like a four-year university as quickly as possible. Thank you to everyone that submitted these clips. And if you go or are considering going to community college, there are plenty of us out here that have gone and continued towards our goals, whatever those may be. So don't be afraid to join the Community College Club. And I want to say thank you to both of you and all of our guests for these last two episodes for being brave enough to share your stories and work to break down the stigma. I have certainly taken a lot away from these episodes, and I'm going to be more open-minded toward community college and people who have gone there going forward. And uh, I attribute a lot of that to these episodes. So thank you. Thanks for being an ally, Will and Alex. Yeah, thank you guys. That concludes episode 68, Beyond, Breaking the Stigma Around Community College Part 2. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Audible, Amazon Music, and we also have a Twitter, at Astro Soundbites. So tweet at us with your favorite thing that you learned from this episode. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to keep your ears to the cosmos. Worcester. In Worcester. In Worcester. Nope. Listeners, you have no way of knowing this, but Sabrina spent the entirety of this recording under a blanket. My room is a bit echoey, okay? <laughs>